Welcome to PCA One-on-One, Positive Coaching Alliance's podcast series where we talk with leading experts about how to develop better athletes, better people through sports. And now here's your host, Jim Thompson, PCA founder and CEO. So I'm, I'm excited today to have uh, Mary Fry uh, on the line with us um, for our PCA One-on-One uh, podcast interviews. Mary is a Texas native who played tennis at Texas Wesleyan, where she majored in English and physical education. She's currently an associate professor in sport and exercise psychology and director of the University of Kansas Sport and Exercise Psychology Lab at the University of Kansas. Her research focuses on, among other things, creating a caring and task-involving climate for youngsters in physical activity settings. she is a recent member of, uh, just joined the PCA National Advisory Board. She got her master's from University of North Carolina, Greensboro, where she worked with Dan Gould, also on our National Advisory Board, now the head of the Institute for the Study of Youth Sports at Michigan State, and got her Ph.D. at Purdue, where she worked with Joan Duda, again, also on PCA's National Advisory Board. So, Mary, it seems like uh, you were destined to, to get involved with PCA. Um, She's also co-directed uh, a positive life skills uh, physical activity program for elementary age girls called Strong Girls, um, been involved with the uh, associate editor of the Journal of Applied Sports Psychology and the Journal of Sports Psychology in Action, on the editorial board of the Journal of Sports Exercise and Performance Psychology, and executive board for the Association for Applied Sports Psychology. Mary, thank you for uh, taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you, Jim. It's my pleasure. I have to tell you a story about uh, your project called Strong Girls. Um, I wrote a book years ago that I think about 14 people read called um, uh, Shooting in the Dark. It was about my experiences uh, teaching a leadership class at Stanford Business School and at the same time coaching a high school girls basketball team. And um, I, uh, the, um, I read a book called In These Girls, Hope is a Muscle about the uh, Amherst High School <clears throat> basketball team. And uh, one of the players had this strong woman wall in her room where she would get pictures of all the strong women athletes and others and, and put them up there to kind of inspire herself. And so um, our gym at Fremont High School in Sunnyvale, California, um, in order to use the scoreboard, we had to pull out the the uh, bleachers every every day of practice. And so I um, I started um, asking the, the players to, to help me. And um, and we, we had this little running joke about uh, strong being beautiful. So, you know, strong and beautiful. And I was really uh, touched at the end of the year when the players gave me a, a picture of the whole team all dressed up in, in uh, evening gowns, and it, underneath it it said, strong and beautiful. Uh, so I, just, I had to share that uh, with you because I thought it was so great. We, you know, the, the traditional idea of femininity all, all, often is not strong. It's, uh, so anyway. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. So... Um, Mary, um, I'm just delighted that you're involved with PCA. It seems like elite sports gets most of the media attention, most of the funding. Uh, why are you doing research on youth sports? Why, why do you think that's important? Well, Jim, I think, I think it's critical because kids everywhere um, have the experience of playing in youth sports, and it's such a powerful avenue for kids to learn so many great lessons and 
to just put them on track and in positive directions and they gain so much and we just I think fall short of the mark in in too many programs still today even with as much as we know from research and so um, I'm passionate about conducting research and trying to relay this research um, to the people who really can use it and, and benefit and make sport better for kids. I don't know if you happen to see this um, New York Times uh, section recently. Uh, I think it's called Up for Debate, and they always have like five or six or seven uh, people with some expertise uh, debating a, a certain topic, and the topic was, you know, basically should school sports be abolished? Uh, and there are a couple of people who are saying, you know, the school systems in Finland and places like that, there's plenty of sports in the society, but they're not through schools, and the schools are really good. Um, do you have an opinion on, on school sports? Is it a good thing? Is it uh, over overdone? Whatever. I think it can be a great thing, and that, you know, there's just – so many kids who might not have the opportunity to play sport if it wasn't, you know, an opportunity offered through through their schools. So I, I love that. I, I wish every school required coaches to have just some basic training. Um, so I think it's one of those things that, you know, it just really depends how it's done. And if we have coaches who aren't as informed and knowledgeable, then we can do a lot of damage. And if we have coaches... Um, that really are creating a positive environment. It, it can just be huge on every level for students and athletes and, and the school overall. You uh, you do research on the uh, how you create a caring climate and the impact of that. Uh, first of all, what what how do you define what a caring climate is on a team? Okay. That was tricky for us to, to really nail. I'd been doing research for a long time on just how to optimize motivation for young athletes, and I was working with some colleagues, and we had decided about 10 years ago that um, one of the things that just wasn't um, as apparent in the research and the literature was kind of this notion of a caring climate and how important that could be for sport. We felt like it was something that had been left out a little bit. And so we began meeting on a regular basis and wanted to explore the idea of what is a caring climate. Um, we, after a lot of time, and maybe one of the hardest things I've done in my research career is we came up with this definition that basically says uh, a caring climate um, occurs when athletes perceive um, the environment to be um, inviting, safe, supportive, and able to provide the experience of being valued and respected. And I, I just smile telling you that definition because we, we just talked so carefully about um, each of those words and exactly what we were trying to capture um, because it's so easy to um, for all of us to kind of point and say that's not a caring climate. We definitely know what that isn't. But um, I think the essence of what it is is that it's a place where people feel like everyone's treated with mutual kindness and respect everyone feels welcome and safe and um, really part of the group. You know, the I think uh, what you said about um, optimizing motivation, I think much of my life I've thought this way, and I think a lot of coaches do, that, in, that motivation is an individual thing. It's about motivating this kid. Um, but your research shows that creating a caring climate really has an impact on the whole team. Do you want to talk about what, you know, when a coach is able to create that caring climate, uh, what kind of positive impact it has on players? 
Yes, for sure. And I, I think that's the big take-home message from the research that we're doing here at KU is that coaches play such a huge role for really athletes of all ages, but in particular young athletes. And so by creating a, a caring environment and one that teaches kids to value effort and improvement and to gauge their success that way, we're finding that the benefits are really on three different levels. Um, one is just directly to the sport experience in that when kids are in a positive environment, they have more fun, they try harder, they want to stick with the sport, they hope to continue to be with that team, they get along better with their teammates. Uh, and it's just a long list of positive things that we all are thinking that's what sport should be about. We've also kind of stepped back and taken a bigger picture look at, at the power of a positive environment. And we have found that uh, when kids perceive that positive uh, climate on their sport teams, that they, um, they have better uh, emotional regulation. And what I mean by that is that when good things happen, they're able to express their joy. And when bad things happen, they're able to keep it in perspective more and not just have these, you know, big lows that they might hit. Um, they show greater empathy for other people. Uh, and, and it's related also to just their psychological well-being, like they report greater hope and happiness and less depression and sadness. So I think that's really exciting findings that just say sport is bigger than just, you know, that moment of uh, getting some physical activity and, that, that it has just big potential. And then the third area of research um, uh, has shown that being in a positive environment really affects what's going on physically with us. And we have some work that shows that when we're in an ego-involving climate, and that's one where just the whole emphasis is on winning and who's the best, and those are the athletes that get the most praise and reinforcement and recognition, um, that that um, is related to people experiencing greater cortisol or stress responses. And uh, we've been able to measure that with, uh, uh, through salivary measurements. So um, cortisol is a stress hormone, and, and so when our body's really anxious and stressed, we secrete more cortisol. So um, we think that's been an interesting addition to the literature just to think, you know, it's so connected how we respond psychologically, emotionally, and, and physically. So cortisol, if you've got a lot of cortisol in you, that's not good. No, it isn't, and especially long-term. And, and our studies are pretty short-term, just looking even in, in a 30-minute segment of what might be happening. Uh, we would love to be able to pursue this and do some research with athletes that are on sport teams all the time and that every day they're coming back, um, you know, and comparing that when they're coming to a positive and supportive environment versus, a, you know, just a more negative, critical one. Um, I don't expect you, I, I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area, I don't expect you to be as uh, fervent a San Francisco, San Francisco Giants fan as I am, but last night was the seventh game of the World Series, and um, you, you might have been rooting for Kansas City. As a matter of fact, I, I was. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually didn't want to see them lose either, but I'm a, a, a big Bruce Bochy fan. I think, think he's a fantastic manager. He's also involved with a big supporter of PCA. And I was really struck by the interview with John Panic after the game. John is the rookie second baseman who made that incredible diving grab of a, a grounder that would have put men on first and third with nobody out. Uh, and then he realized he couldn't transfer the ball to his throwing hand in time, so he just flapped, flapped his glove um, 
to Brandon Crawford, and they got a double play out of it. Um, and after the game, they were saying, they asked him about uh, about being a rookie, and he said something like, "The Giants welcomed me from the beginning. They said you're one of us." And I was just thinking about coaches who either encourage or tolerate hazing, uh, athletes who think that hazing helps you, you know. Um, and I'm just thinking about the the way the Giants welcomed him, uh, and then. You know, he really, I think, saved the World Series for the Giants. I agree. It was a great play, and he's just got tremendous poise and just a first-class act. I, I really enjoyed hearing him speak afterwards, too. And um, I agree with you. That's just huge um, to, to be on a team where you're welcomed in. And, you know, it, it, it really reflects that caring climate. Um, I had an athlete tell me the other day, um, that he was asking one of his teammates, hey, um, what's that new kid's name, you know, on the team? And, and, and the athlete said, oh, I don't know. I don't learn freshmen's names. Um, and, and it's a little bit the same mentality you're talking about is how do we have this seniority system and how are we making people feel that are part of the team. And uh, I think, ironically, that hurts a lot when, um, you know, every athlete isn't made to feel really welcome and valued and important, you know, that it hurts the, the team on so many levels, but, you know, as well as performance. I mean, how can people perform their best when, um, you know, they're worried about those kind of relationships? I think that's one of the things that's so exciting about your research is that, let's say you've got a coach who all he cares about or all she cares about is winning. If that's all they care about, they should really work really hard to create a, a caring climate on the team. I agree. There's just no downside to it that we're finding from our research. I mean, you know, what coach doesn't want athletes to try their hard, hardest and enjoy the experience and support their teammates and, um, you know, be able to relax and not, not be stressed out and um, all of that. So I agree. Uh, one of my colleagues is always reminding me that, hey, it has to be sincere so coaches can't, you know, fake it. It has to really be authentic. And so I, I think that's definitely part of it. But I think there's a lot of research to suggest uh, reasons to buy into this philosophy of creating a caring climate. The uh, the twelve step uh, movement would, has a phrase uh, "make it till you or no fake it till you make it," and uh, we talk about acting as if. So um, you know when you're trying a, a new behavior, maybe it's not authentic to start with, but when you're trying it, you just you got to keep at it until it becomes um, becomes that way. Um, you, That's right. You you've been doing some work with college um, college football teams as well, I believe. So it's not just this the caring climate idea isn't just for. You know, a lot of people would say, well, sure, for six, seven, eight, nine-year-olds, yeah, maybe that's important. But, uh, you know, the the Giants and John, John Panic, and I would say, too, I think the Royals were just such a supportive team to each other. Um, but ha- can you say anything about caring climate at the, the elite level, college or beyond? Yes, it's going to be exciting to have more research at the elite level than what we do now. But we have, I mean, what we have um, supports that this caring climate is key at, at every level. Um, we, One of my doctoral students, Joe Clonch, and I have just um, completed a study where we conducted an intervention with a college football coaching staff, 
that really wanted to create a caring climate on their team. And one of the things they dealt with was just um, their retention rates. They have so many athletes um, quit each season, and so every year it's like starting all over, and they have this huge number of freshmen, so it's hard to really progress and um, get better. And so um, they were aware of um, you know, some of this research and literature and really wanted to give it a try. So we work with them across the season, um, to, and it was such a radical shift in their philosophy. Pretty much everyone on the coaching staff had only experienced this ego-involving climate as, uh, growing up as athletes and then as they had become coaches as well. So this environment where, you know, you just recognize people who perform the best, winning is the focus, you're trying to just create rivalry among your athletes and, you know, uh, mistakes are meant to be punished. You know, how do you put up with mistakes? Those are bad and, you know, the, the way to deal with them is to kind of yell and scream and humiliate people. Um, so it was just a fascinating project for us to see really the transformation that occurred for these coaches. Um, we, we spent some time with them talking about it and kind of brainstorming. It was just a, a really new idea to them to think about responding to mistakes in a different way, to really stop and talk to athletes and to think, hey, this athlete didn't make a mistake because he's trying to be disrespectful to me. You know, for whatever reason, there's something going on in his life or he's not really understanding, you know, what, what I'm telling him to do. And so they came up with a coaching pact was the first step and uh, about how they wanted to be as a coaching staff with each other and, and then also how they wanted to treat the athletes across the season. So it, it was pretty powerful just to hear their experiences of seeing just what a different response they got from athletes. They felt like um, athletes were more committed and tried harder and felt closer to each other. Um, the coaches had a better experience. They had more fun coaching. Um, with that kind of philosophy, and um, they also had, you know, much better retention uh, through the season and into the next. So the cynic would say, yeah, but did they win more? Well, this is a situation, it's a, a small school that's up against um, programs that have a lot more resources, um, and so in this case, I can't say no, they, they won more, but... Um, I'd be willing willing to uh, put some wager down that this this could happen with other programs and teams. Yeah, yeah. Um, the I, I assume there's some confidentiality around that, but um, the, the coaching pact. If there's a way of sort of taking it out of either if if that coaching staff would allow sharing it, or if there's a way to kind of keep confidentiality, I'd, I'd love to, to see that because I think, you know, the, the, the youth coaches who listen to this and who Positive Coaching Alliance work with could really use that. So, you know, if uh, you don't need to answer that now, but if there's a way to share that, that coaching pack, that's a really interesting idea, and I think it could be, it could be uh, illuminating for a lot of uh, high school and youth coaches. Yeah, and, and I can check with them and see if they're comfortable, but even if they're not, we, we do this with quite a few teams where we go in and have them think about, um, creating a pact, and so we, we have a number of examples, and Perfect. it's just nice when they create their own, and athletes even create their own, about what it means to be a teammate or be part of this team. You, you mentioned earlier about emotional regulation. Um, 
the um, you know there there was uh, I'm I'm really uh, I was so taken with the the World Series this year, so I keep going back to it. But um, the the catcher for the uh, for the Royal Salvador last name is Perez. Perez, thank you. He got beamed. I mean, he got hit really, really hard with the ball. And, uh, I mean, there, there were so many situations, and both those teams just seemed uh, emotional regulation. They, they were in control of their emotions rather than the other way around. Um, it's just like, how could you not want players who can control their emotions on your team? It is. It's just such a huge plus across the board in life, you know, when we can do that with our families and in, in our jobs and, and on sport teams. And we thought this was a particularly interesting finding in our research because, um, you know, especially with teenagers, that is such a struggle to be able to, you know, um, express joy when good things are happening, for example. And, you know, lots of kids struggle with that and just, you know, feel so shy and embarrassed or and, and then on the other side, to be able to keep in perspective when challenges come or things aren't going so well and to avoid taking that nosedive. Um, so uh, we thought that was a really interesting finding. So it's not just a playing sport that helps you regulate your emotions better, but being in a really positive and caring environment helps develop that skill. You know, it's interesting because uh, I've heard a number of people say um, – you know, nobody's ever quoted any research, but you know, if kids kids from a uh, you know a tough background, you got to be tough on them to help them develop toughness. But I think what you're saying is, if we if we say that emotional uh, being able to regulate your emotions is part of being tough, being able to respond to whatever the world deals you, then uh, you know, being nasty, snarly, and and being tough on you know tough love kind of stuff for kids. Uh, you're saying that putting kids in a caring environment leads to mental toughness, I think. Am I making too big a jump there? No, I think there's definitely uh, a connection there. And I think sometimes people misunderstand kind of the concept of a caring climate, and they think, oh, that just means everything's soft and, um, you know, no matter what you do, it's okay. And it's sort of like a tea party analogy, right? Um, and that's not at all what we mean by creating this positive, supportive environment. You know, it's, it's no fun not to be challenged and pushed. Um, and we would argue it's not that much fun to be in situations where you're not really trying hard. Um, but to have coaches who you feel like really care about you as a person and are supportive and looking out for your best interest, um, and then creating that same kind of climate among your teammates, um, that seems just critical on what every kid needs. And, and part of what's so sad is if kids don't get it in sport and, you know, they, don't, they may not be getting that positive climate at home for some kids or even during the school day, you know, for some kids, then it, it just sets them up to really be on their own. You know, your article, I, um, the first thing I read of your research was your article in the Journal of Sports Psychology in, in Action, Creating a Positive Climate for Young Athletes from Day One. And, um, you know, a lot of academics uh, don't really seem to concern themselves too much with practicality for the practitioner. And I just thought this was such a practical article. Can you share some of the things that um, a coach can do 
from day one to create uh, a caring climate for, for players? Yes, I'd, I'd be glad to. I spent a lot of time watching youth sport, and so I see a lot of it just first days in camps and um, all kind of programs and classes and with teams, and I'm just kind of taken back sometimes how rare it is to see um, any kind of an introduction that the, the coach might make. So one of the things um, I, I try to put on the radar screen of coaches is just to think, hey, what is everyone going through here with uh, showing up for a new team, for example, and just having kids of, that my own kids that have gone through, you know, so many of these experiences, and I know they can be nervous and they're not sure what to expect and all when they show up. So even with a coach you're saying, hey, buddy, I want to welcome everyone. I want to tell you I'm just so excited to be here and I've been looking forward to this. Um, it's going to be really fun to get to know each of you and for you to get to know each other. We're going to learn, you know, so much about the sport and, and improve and um, – so I think it's just going to be a great season. Even something just that small as an introduction, I rarely see with uh, when, I, when I'm out observing kind of first days. Um, little things like when I've, I've watched a lot of sport camps and kids show up and their parents show up and everyone's just sort of standing around. Um, and so there might be this period where really nothing's going on, but there's no introductions made. So even for just coaches to be saying, hey, good, you're all checked in, now I want you to go, you know, and, and talk to these two kids and find out three things you have in common with each other or tell five things about yourself, encouraging kids to introduce themselves and to get to know each other. Um, it's not unusual for kids to be on a new team and none of this happened, and they might not even know the name of everybody on their team, you know, for several weeks or even longer sometimes uh, when coaches don't make the effort to do some of this. I, I, uh, uh, I'm working on a book on team culture now, and so I've got people all over the country sending me stuff. Um, and somebody sent me a link to an article about Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots, and that in practice he doesn't have uh, the offenses in blue and the defenses in gray or vice versa, and they don't have numbers on because he wants the players to call each other by their name. Um, and it just, you know, even at that high level, the, the relationships. We, we talk about thread count, uh, you know, thread count in a towel or a sheet. The, the more thread count, the, the higher quality is. And, you know, we're, as you know, we're trying to create a movement to change the culture of youth sports away from this entertainment sports culture to what we call a development zone culture, which is about developing better athletes, better people. And the more relationships you have, uh, the more thread count, um, the, the stronger that movement's going to be, and I think the same thing is true um, in uh, in, a, in a, a, a sports team. Uh, you know, I, I, again, last night uh, Tim Hudson, the, the Giants' starting pitcher, did not last very long, and uh, so he was in there only a, a, an inning and a third. And later in the game, they showed him sitting on the bench, and one of his teammates was giving him like a shoulder massage. And it just, it really, um, you know, it's like that uh, those relationships can be so important. They really can. And, you know, on, on the other side of that, I just, you watch some college football on Saturdays, and somebody will make a key mistake. And I was just surprised how often that athlete, nobody surrounds that athlete, and that athlete's just sort of alone on the sidelines like that so um, that was really neat to see I, I agree with you with the Giants last night 
Brandy Chastain, who was on the 1999 women's uh, national soccer team that won the World Cup, um, she told the story about uh, in the, the all the pressure on on these these women because they were the this is the first time this country was really focusing on women's soccer and they were in the quarterfinals and she she did like the worst thing you can do in soccer she made an own goal in the quarterfinals against Germany and she said what happened next changed her life that the captain Carla Overbeck came over to her and said. Don't worry about it. We're going to get it back. We're going to win this game, and you're going to have an important part of it. And all of the horrible feelings she had just went away, and she actually scored a goal later in the game, and they did win, and then they went on to win the, the World Cup. It just it could be those relationships like that. Uh, I'm just uh, repeating what you're saying and what your research is showing. It's just so important. Let me, let me ask you about um, you've got some other interesting um, – Oh, one of the things in your in this this great article um, is about setting clear expectations for everybody. Um, and one of the things I noticed is that coaches often want to uh, keep information from their players. So, a, a simple thing like, and I, I'm I'm curious your reaction to this. A simple thing like. Uh, telling the players at the beginning of practice what they're going to focus on, posting the practice plan so the the players can see it. Is that uh, how important is that? Now, I I really don't have data to support this, but just my experience is that is that that's huge and that athletes really appreciate it. It's funny you mention it because we um, were talking in my class this week about it, and and somebody who's on the football team was contrasting two coaching styles he'd experienced and was sharing that um, he loved it the way one coach posted the workout all the time and another didn't, and it just seemed to raise anxiety because you had no idea whether you're doing, you know, two of these or five of these or exactly what's going on. So I think it's... um, a, a good idea. It gives the athletes a sense of where they're going. And um, I had a coach um, in college who would post the, the workouts, and he would encourage us that, hey, if you think there's something that would be really beneficial for the team to work on, then give me ideas for drills that you think um, would be great for us to do. And so it just sort of empowers wow. athletes to be part of it. And, you know, the coach wasn't saying, hey, I'm going to change practice at the last minute or uh, incorporate every suggestion anyone had. But it's just saying, hey, I'm open-minded, and I value that you could have some some contributions. That would be great for the team. Wow, that's beautiful. Um, you, 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 when I talked to you before, you talked about some uh, research looking at juggling. Could you uh, um, can you talk a little bit about, about that and, and why juggling yeah. and what you learned from it? Yes. One of my uh, graduate students, Candace Hogue, had um, – really gotten interested in some of the physiological research, and uh, this is related to the cortisol um, stuff I mentioned earlier, but um, she thought, oh, it's got it. there's got to be such a strong tie to what kind of climate you're in, and, and that's going to be linked to your stress response. Um, so we designed a, a study where we taught people to juggle, and the reason we t- chose juggling is that it's a pretty level playing field, you know, versus... Um, different sports where people have, have, might have exposure at different you know times in their lives, and also we recruited people who didn't know how to juggle and 
invited them in and said we would be teaching them to juggle. And they were randomly assigned to this ego-involving climate where the focus was on who was the best. Those are the people who got the praise and recognition. We we tried to really generate rivalry among among the group and um, it just kind of made them feel like they should pick this up more quickly uh, and that we were just so much more impressed with the people who, who did pick it up quickly. And then the other climate was uh, this caring task involving climate where um, we really encouraged the participants just to focus on themselves and their effort and improvement. We really tried to highlight that. We downplayed any type of you know comparison of who was the best. Um, and so basically we gave them a 30-minute juggling session and measured this cortisol at seven different time points across. And in this ego-competitive environment, cortisol just skyrocketed. People were definitely stressed. Um, and afterwards they felt more shame. They indicated they felt more anxiety. They didn't enjoy the experience, you know, overall as a group. They felt like You know what's so funny hard. about that is it doesn't matter at all whether you can juggle well in anything in life, you know. Exactly. And, and yet they were stressed out about it. That's right. And, you know, what's interesting is that it takes so little time to go in and create this environment. It's not like you need two weeks or something. In this 30-minute session, uh, we could really spike their cortisol. And um, in the caring and task-involving um, climate, we had expected that maybe cortisol would just be maintained it wouldn't change too much, um, and it actually decreased. So even though they're they're in this research study, not sure what to expect, and even though they're learning a new skill, it just evidently put them at ease. They felt comfortable and just went in and had fun. They said they tried harder, um, and they were more excited about continuing to learn to juggle. Um, and so it's just a, a complete contrast of the experiences. Um, across these two. So we have a study planned for the spring um, to do something similar with um, with kids, and uh, it will be really interesting to see see how that The, the jugglers, the, the subject in this study, were, were they college kids? They were. Yeah, wow. Um, so um, one more question about your research. Um, I know you, you you're looking at mindfulness and you know what what kind of role that can play in in sports. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, we are involved in a, a pretty good data collection right now. This is another one of my graduate students, Susumu Iwasaki. He's from Japan, and he has um, for several years just been really interested in in the mindfulness literature and um, looking at that in sport and thinking about the role that a positive climate might play in helping athletes be more mindfully engaged. Uh, one strategy to help people be more mindful is to put them through mindfulness training, and of course that makes a lot of, a lot of sense, but um, we've wondered if maybe a natural byproduct of just being in this positive, supportive environment is that it sets athletes up to be more mindful, and, and by that we mean not just in the moment and not worried about the past and maybe mistakes they've made or anything and not worried about the future, what if, you know, this doesn't happen or this does, but just to be able to relax and um, stay in the moment. So he is involved in uh, some dissertation data collection right now, and uh, we've already analyzed kind of preliminary data that's showing a pretty strong relationship between mindfulness and that caring climate. 
You, in addition to all the other things you are, you are a sports parent. You've got a son and daughter involved with sports. Um, and I wonder what advice you might have for sports parents out there who will be listening to this podcast. Any, any words of wisdom? Well, I'm not sure, but <laughs> the best wisdom I would have is to really check out programs um, that you're signing your kids up for. Ask those questions of, hey, do coaches um, get, some, get some training, um, get, get some exposure. What I have found a lot is that um, people have the right language. They say, oh, this is a you know, developmental sport program, and so we're all about developing athletes. Um, but then so often that doesn't translate to, um, you know, mean what you or I might think it would mean, you know, that they play the best kids. Some kids end up spending a lot of time on the bench. And so it's hard to have a developmental program where kids don't get playing time, for example. So I think asking um, those kind of questions. Um, I, I, uh, my daughter played in a, a sport program a couple years ago, and so the, the coaches were saying, hey, um, she was pretty excited about it. She'd, she'd been to a couple practices, and um, it seemed like they were it was a, a positive climate. But in, the, in a parents meeting, the coaches were saying, hey, we're going to push your kids so hard. Your kids just were warning you they're going to come home crying. And, um, just, you know, after the parent meeting, my husband and I were like, wow, um, you know, this doesn't sound like what we're looking for. Um, so I, I met with the coach and said our daughter was pretty excited, but I wanted to check in on some of this uh, and ask some questions. And um, so he ended up coming back and going, oh, you know, absolutely, no, no, no. And I think there were maybe some parents that were influencing some of the things he said. But, um, you know, we really specifically um, had him address um, the things that we were looking for in a program, and he said that that's how it would be and what it would be, and it played out that it was that way. So I think sometimes as parents we're hesitant to get too involved. We, we feel like, hey, if we question things, it might hurt our kids and their chances. Um, but it, it, I, I think we won't make sport better for kids in general if we as parents aren't really speaking up and asking questions and encouraging sport administrators to um, make sure there's coaching education available. I think every youth, every youth sport program should be evaluating the kids' experiences at the end. The kids should have a chance to do an anonymous survey um, that really asks them how much fun did you have, how much did you learn, how much do you want to come back and do this again. Uh, I think programs have a lot to benefit from that. There will just be so much value. So those are questions parents could ask as well. And, and along those lines. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Um, I was talking to a parent recently who um, was protesting uh, in their their organization about a coach who had been uh, they thought verbally abusive and and had been allowed to come back the next year and, and coach another team and 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 they they just didn't give up. They just kept at it and. They weren't able to, to get that, that coach removed, but I, I told them, I think, I'm really glad you did what you did, and the, the league administrators are going to be more sensitive to this in the future because you did that, even though in this particular situation you didn't, you didn't get exactly what you wanted. I think you're right. It's like uh, parents too, too often stifle themselves. Like, as you said, I don't want this to hurt my kids, so I'm not going to say anything. Um, 
Mary, um, any last thing about, uh, I've got one more question for you, but any last thing about your research that you'd like uh, coaches and parents and athletes out there to know about that I haven't asked you about? Um, not so, uh, yeah can't think of anything else. The only thing I would just reiterate is, is the important role that coaches play, and I think it's, it's easy to, for coaches to underestimate that and not realize how much um, kids benefit from getting to know coaches and just the involvement that they have. I think it's, it's just incredibly powerful. I think so many kids um, would nearly give, give their lives, you know, for their coaches. There's that strong of a connection and um, that it just sets them up, you know, so well to gain confidence and um, strength. And so I think that's the good reminder. Sometimes it just comes off as, hey, we're really pointing fingers and coaches aren't doing a good job. Coaching is such a challenging job. You know, a lot of the coaches we're talking about are volunteers. They're not professionals or full-time, you know, employees. They have their day jobs. And so um, I think it's just a good reminder of, wow, they, they, have, they play a huge role. You know, I, I gave a talk at a um, in in uh, at Lewis University, uh, southwest of Chicago, last week, and uh, I was really influenced by reading your work and talking with you. And and um, so uh, we were talking. I was talking about the the caring climate idea, and uh, our slogan, positive coaching line slogan, is uh, better athletes, better people, and. So one of the things I said to them, which, you know, really came from my conversation with you, was that um, you, you're, if you want to let your kids know that you care about them, one of the easiest ways to do that is to say, hey, I'm, my goal here is to make you both a better athlete and a better person. Because um, I think very often uh, it, it becomes kind of a transactional thing. You know, try really hard and I'll coach you. And it's all about the game. And I think one of the things, certainly kids want to be good athletes, but they also want to, they want to know that they're going to be successful in life as well. Mm -hmm. um, last question. Um, I'm really delighted you're, you joined uh, PCA's National Advisory Board. Why, um, why are you involved with PCA? I've been familiar with the work of PCA for a long time, and um, I've read your books, Jim, and um, I, I think what I really love about the work you and the others you brought on board are doing is that it's so soundly based on research, and we have such a, a truckload of research to support um, the power of creating positive climates, um, and so it's, it, it just has such a strong foundation, um, and you, you've done a, a wonderful job of bringing so many great coaches and athletes on board to really emphasize this, and so I'm really pleased to be part of it. Well, thank you so much, and uh, this is uh, uh, every, every, everybody involved with you sports who listens to this podcast is going to take away just a wealth of wisdom. So, Mary Fry, thank you so much. Thank you, Jim. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us on this episode of PCA One-on-One. -on -One. Be sure to visit PositiveCoach.org to download more podcasts.